that Jesus is building by grace. And so we've been looking at what that looks like, and today we come to the topic of how we treat each other. How we treat each other. God's Word has a lot to say about that, hundreds of verses about say this, don't say that, do this, don't do that, <laughs> this is your attitude, this is your behavior, lots and lots in the Scripture about how we actually treat one another. But I think we can get at the center of it all with what Paul said to the church at Philippi. And so we're going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11 in our quest here to answer the question, how do we treat each other in God's community? So let's pray. Let's read this and then pray. <clears throat> so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, may that praise rise in our hearts as we consider this passage. There's an imitation here of your great love for us and the humility that brought you into this earth in the form of man to die for our sins. There's something to imitate, but there's something to praise and admire and enjoy, and so help us to do it this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a question that I've voiced to Mary on several occasions. Usually it's after a long day or a week of ministry, not really because I want an answer, because it just feels good to ask the question, to say it out loud. <clears throat> I say, why can't we just all get along? <laughs> after trying to negotiate a peace between two people who are in conflict or hearing some kind of a, a dig, a uh, a comment, a slander, a gossip, or whatever, um, or 10 minutes on any news media. <laughs> I want to ask the question, why can't we all just get along? Because it's pretty obvious that that's a problem with humanity. 
But I know the answer. The conflict, the rudeness, the unforgiveness, and all these other relational problems, they all began with a tree and a fruit and a desire to do what's right in our own eyes. That is the painful truth of the Garden of Eden. But this passage in Philippians reminds us that such things are not the end of the story. They're all going to pass away. They're going to be replaced with a new and healthy and vibrant and uh, encouraging community that will never end. And the place where we get to see it happen, at least in part, the place that God wants to begin is in the local church. That's, that's where we get to see some of heaven on earth in the way that we treat each other, which is so different from what our natural inclination would be. So Jesus is building a community where we treat each other differently. It's a community where, and I think this is the burden of the passage, where we love each other in humility just like Jesus did. He's our model. He's also the one who makes it possible. But we learn from him. What does it look like for us to be a gospel culture, to be affected by grace? Well, we're going to love each other in humility the way Jesus has shown us. So that's where we're going in this passage. Uh, we see it in the phrases which Paul uh, puts in here. He dearly wants this church in Philippi. It's a church that he planted, and he dearly wants them to experience this. He says, yeah, what would, you know what would really make me happy? You know what would complete my joy? He says this, um, if you are of the same mind, if you are having the same love, if in humility you're counting others more significant than yourselves, that would make me happy. And you know what? This mind is yours in Christ Jesus. And so this, this 11 verses that we read is his, his heart going out to this church that he loves. And he's saying, this is what I would love for your community to feel like and sound like. And this is how I'd want to see you treating one another. And if I heard that, I'd be so encouraged. Like, that's why we planted this church. And so we need to look through this and see what it was that he had to, to say to them. But let's, let's go ahead and do it. Let's just walk through the passage. It starts with Paul drawing, his atten drawing attention to their experience of the grace of God in Christ. So he's always going to be beginning there. Um, before we get to any kinds of instructions, here's how you should change, here's how you should act, Always look for where the grounding of those exhortations and instructions are, and it usually starts with grace. It starts with, what has God already done? And so he starts out with, what's God already done? What's your experience, you, you people in the church of Philippi? What's been your experience of God's grace in Christ? And he, he lists it. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by, and then he goes on and he says what he wants them to do with that. But he starts with this list, 
And it's a list of what a person encounters when they're in this vibrant, this vital and legal relationship to, with God that Dan was talking about in communion. What is it that we experience if we're in Christ by faith in His life, death, and resurrection for our sins? Well, He, he goes through this and He, he brings their attention. If, if, you've re- if you've encountered this and that, so what, I've, what have they encountered? Well, one is encouragement. If there's any encouragement in Christ, stop there. Is there any? <laughs> Boatloads. Oh, so much. So much encouragement in Christ, starting with the fact that God makes promises to us that are all yes in Christ. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Romans 4, 7. There's a promise. It's yes in Christ. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Another promise. These things are all encouragements about what has God said He's going to do for you if you're in Him. There's also comfort from love. When you're in a hard place in life, you get comfort from the awareness and the receiving of God's love. You know that this hard place that I'm in, it has to have come through the permission of divine love. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening to me because God has said that He loves me. It's a great love. And so I'm going to get comfort from love. There's participation in the Spirit. You know the word, participation. It's koinonia. It's fellowship. We have fellowship. We have participation in the very life of God through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. There's affection. God's affection. I love that word. The the King James says bowels. (laughs) I can see why they changed it. Affection sounds a little better. But it's this gut reaction, like, ah, my heart goes out to you. And sympathy is like that. It's compassion. It's mercy. There's this, there's this emotion. I think we can call it an emotional going towards you with God's heart. That's, that's what we have in Christ. And so Paul starts there with all this list. And it's a list of what we experience It's the grace of God to sinners who deserve only wrath. And Paul says to the church, if you've known what any of that is like, if you've experienced any of that stuff, then what I'm about to ask you to do is going to make sense. I'm going to appeal to your memory of God's grace, and I'm going to tell you how that affects how you treat each other. So how should they treat each other? What would make him, what would complete his joy? Here it is. It's if they have the same mind and the same love. That's where he goes next. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. And this is restated as being in full accord and of one mind. Now, what does all that mean? I think we can say it this way. In light of verse 1 and all of your experience of God's grace, treat each other the same way God has treated you. The sameness. 
comes from the imitation of what you know about God and what you have received from God. Whatever differences you might have, whatever issues crop up and divide you, pass on what you've received. Pass on encouragement in Christ. Comfort from love, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. We might just summarize this as the mindset of Christian love. The mindset of Christian love. We will think and we will love the way that God thinks and loves. All of us will do it together. That's what will be the same. So we're not going to participate in rudeness, unforgiveness, cold-heartedness, and all these things that are so much our temptation and our habit. We're not going to avoid each other where there's a problem or a disagreement, nor are we going to drive our personal agendas over people. We're not going to settle for an uneasy pace, just tolerating one another, but silently wishing that you would go to another church. (laughs) No, rather... We're going to adopt the same mind and exercise the same love that God has shown to us in Christ, a love that's informed by the Scriptures and experienced in our lives. Now, that's a lot of words. We need to see an example of what this looks like. And we have an example near the end of Paul's letter because he had somebody in mind (laughs) when he was writing this. He knew this church. He knew names. So let me take you to chapter 4, verse 2 of the Philippians. You can probably flip open one page if you want. But Paul's wrapping up the letter, and he thinks about this situation that's going on in the church between two women that needs to be resolved. He can't, he can't finish the letter until he says something about these two ladies. So he says this, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This situation is so true to life. (laughs) Here you have two women in the church who are genuine believers. Their names are in the book of life. And they are both active in Christian ministry. They have labored side by side with Paul and others in the gospel. They're faithful, energized ladies serving the Lord in the same church, but they don't get along. (laughs) They don't agree about something. They're in conflict, and everybody knows it. I mean, this is so much of an issue that Paul hears about it in prison, which is where he's writing this from. Euodia has a strong opinion about some issue, and Syntyche has a strong opposing opinion. And so they're clashing. You can just imagine their small group meetings. (laughs) This issue, whatever it is, you just think, I hope that doesn't come up because there's going to be so much tension in the room (laughs) when they start going at it. (laughs) I love how real the Bible is 
because that happens in every church. Genuine believers, renewed by Jesus Christ, sometimes don't get along. We disagree. We don't handle that very well. So what does Paul urge these two ladies to do? I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. In the Lord. Not just agree to disagree. Not keep arguing until one of you wins. <laughs> and not just coexist with a fake smiley face in public so that everybody thinks everything's fine. No, agree in the Lord. In other words, remember God's undeserved mercy and grace to you and bring that to bear on this disagreement. Whatever issue is dividing you, make sure that encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, make sure those come into play here. Treat each other the same way God has treated you. Love each other with Christian love. One commentator from the past said this, Christians should be one in affection, whether they can be one in apprehension or no. In other words, one in understanding. Be one in affection, even if you can't be one in understanding. He says, this is always in their power and always their duty and is the likeliest way to bring them nearer in judgment. In other words, Christian love is the environment in which differences in understanding have the best chance of actually being resolved. And if the agreement of all issues is not reached, at least agree in the Lord. Agree to love one another as God has loved us. That is being of the same mind. And that is being of the same love. Now let's use an example of our own to show how this might play out in our church. So heads up, controversy warning. Here it comes. <laughs> you don't come into it, Dan. <laughs> I'll use the examples of opinions about COVID vaccination. Ooh. Are we going to go there? <laughs> I think that if Paul was writing to the church today, that's what Yodia and Syntyche would be arguing about. That, that's the thing that he would have to talk to. <laughs> All right, there's two opinions. Strong opinions. Life-shaping opinions about vaccinations. I'll just summarize what they are. Option one. Vaccinations are a moral evil because of a tie to abortion in how they were developed and because the evidence shows that they cause harm and even death in some people. That's opinion one. Opinion two. Not getting vaccinated is a moral evil because evidence shows that the vaccinations save lives and prevent the spread of a virus, so it is unloving to not get one. There they are. And we have those camps, do we not? All over the place. 
strong opposite opinions that genuine believers hold. And that means they are going to come up in conversation, in fellowship, in discipleship group, even in a prayer meeting. And like with Yodia and Syntyche, that can get tense. We might even find ourselves praying opposing prayers. Lord, shut down vaccinations. No, Lord, make them more accessible. (laughs) Not of the same mind at all, right? It makes me think of what Lincoln said in his second inaugural address about the opposing sides of the Civil War. He said, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. That can happen in a small group. (laughs) So how do we handle it when we disagree strongly about something? Well, we agree in the Lord. That means we agree to love each other through this disagreement. When it's appropriate to talk about it, and it's not always appropriate to talk about it, but when it's appropriate, we treat each other as fellow recipients of God's undeserved grace to us sinners. So that starts with seeing God's grace in the other person. We can think this way. Isn't it a miracle that we both care about the welfare of other people who are made in the image of God? Isn't that amazing that it matters to us whether or not people are going to die? That's the grace of God at work. We have that together, even though we are differing in how we protect people. But we have the same heart that God put there. We, we can celebrate that. I agree in that with you. That's the starting point. And it also involves a willingness to learn that we may have our facts wrong. We are, after all, affected by sin. Sin affects our own minds. It, it biases our judgments. It, it makes us listen to this voice, but not that voice. There's, there's selectivity in what we want to hear and what we want to believe. And so maybe I need more perspective. I am open. I am open to that because I know I'm a sinner saved by grace and not perfect. That, that enters in. We agree in that we both need God. <laughs> and that we don't see everything clearly. And then maybe we never come to agreement on the issue, but even if that's the case, we reaffirm our love for one another. We follow Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, which says, Bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We resolve to be one in affection, even if we can't be one in understanding. Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind and having the same love and working things out that way so that we don't just fly to our corners and fly to another church or whatever, but we hang in there together as sinners on the way to glory. It makes your pastors happy when we see that. (laughs) You want happy pastors? (laughs) Love one another through the differences.
Let's move on to the rest of what Paul has to say. He goes on to tell us that there's something that pro- proactive that we can do that can set the table for this kind of loving interaction, something that promotes it, and that something is humility. So that's where he goes next. We can practice humility. Many conflicts won't even happen if we are humble. Verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, why is that there? Why move to the topic of humility? I think it's because pride is the great enemy of Christian love. You can't unselfishly love other people if you are full of yourself. If you're full of ambition to be noticed and to be praised, people know if, you're genuinely, if you genuinely care about them, whether you're really interested in understanding them or if you're just interested in speaking your own mind and being noticed and being the center of attention, people know, and nobody likes that. Nobody wants to have extended conversations and repeated conversations if they know this is just going to be one-sided. It drives a wedge. Proud people can't admit to being wrong, and so that's why arguments and divisions continue. That's why Paul has to say something to Yodia and Syntyche, and us, and me. Pride keeps us in conflict. It's toxic to gospel culture, to being of the same mind and the same love that we've received from God. And more than that, pride actually puts you in opposition to God. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think of that. When we do selfish things, selfish ambition, when there's conceit, God opposes us. Now, I don't know all the ways that that looks, but that doesn't sound good because it's not an even match. (laughs) We don't want the Almighty to be opposing us. That can't be good. That can't be good for our, our relationships. That can't be good for our own, our own soul. King Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was very high and mighty because he built this amazing city called Babylon, and he's walking around in his terrace, and he's like, wow, I've done such a great thing. And then God humbled him, and he went crazy for a while. And then finally, when he returned to his senses... He said of the Lord, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Oh, he is very able. (laughs) I have been humbled many times by God when I do something stupid, sinful, prideful, fall on my face, have to get up, admit, okay, yep, I totally blew that. 
that works on you. If, if you've got the Holy Spirit within you, that's going to work on you in a good way. It's going to make you say, yeah, Lord, I, I actually do need a Savior. <laughs> but God is able to humble us. He is quite capable of that. But we don't have to wait until He does it. Because Paul says humility is something we can be intentional about working into our character. And we'll want to do that. Because the opposite is also true. God gives grace to the humble. Just as pride is a community killer, humility is a community builder. Because God is fully in support of you being a part of this community and being a means of grace to this community. Humility is is what's going to help us treat each other with Christian love. And so Paul gives two key habits Habits of the heart, we might call them. Habits of humility that will help us to create this community of Christian love and maintain it. The first one is, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. Other translations say, consider others better than or more important than you are. I will not think of myself as better than you are. I will think of you as being better than me. That's countercultural, <laughs> counterintuitive. That goes against the grain of pride because pride says, I am better than you, and I know it, and you should know it. It's like the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men or even like this tax collector here, this traitor to our nation. But humility was with the tax collector who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this man went down to his house justified. He wasn't comparing himself favorably to anybody. He was comparing himself with God, and he was humbled. And we're to adopt that same mindset. We have much to be humble about, all of us, because of our sin. Now, somebody might be thinking something like this. Well, um, I'm thinking of a certain person that I'm having trouble with, person I don't like. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know what? They're actually not better than me. I mean, look at them. I mean, at least I have it reasonably together, but look at the mess. And we can think, oh, this is like uh, intellectual dishonesty. I can't count somebody better than myself. That's like, you know, fabrication. We might think that. I, I have acted that way and thought that way. I would just say the Apostle Paul could have gone down that road. He could have said, you know what? I got a lot going for me. Hebrew of Hebrews, this is in chapter 3. Um, as, opposed, as, as to the law, blameless, a Pharisee. I mean, I, ha- I had it all. I was on the rise to being a big shot in Judaism. But what does he say right after listing that? He says, that's all rubbish. None of that matters to me. That counts against me. What I need is Jesus Christ. I need the righteousness that comes to me from God. Because I have none. None of my stuff matters. Only his righteousness. 
And that's the position each of us needs to take. That's the position of accuracy. Not just humility, but accuracy. I can treat others as more significant than myself because I know my own sins better than I know theirs. Who knows what roads led them to where they are right now? They may have had far bigger challenges than me, far greater temptations, far much more trauma. And if I had been in their situation, I would be 10 times worse. We don't know. All we know is what's in here, what's in our hearts, what's in our lives. And we're more familiar with that than we are of anybody else's sin. And so we're charitable in our judgments, and we're more severe with ourselves. I can count others as more important, as better than myself. I can have that attitude. I can cultivate that attitude. And when I do, I'm in a position to love you genuinely instead of in a condescending, fake way. <clears throat> count others as more significant. There's a second habit. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That goes against our pride. The assumption here is that we all naturally look to our own interests. I mean, what is in your to-do list every day? <laughs> Stuff I got to do because this is what I need to maintain my life, to get a job or to, to keep my job or to make money or whatever. I mean, we are naturally interested in our own interests. We're, we look to those things. He's saying, he's saying that's not wrong. It's just that he says, don't only do that, but also look to the interests of others. Now we're widening our scope of involvement. We're saying, well, my stuff is part of what matters today, but your stuff is also part of it. The people that I'm in community with, what's going on with you is also part of my field of vision. And I'm going to look around and go, what's going on out there that God has brought to my attention that I can also help you with? It takes think thinking. What do you need? It takes conversations, questions. It takes opening up that email, <laughs> saying, aha, meal train, aha, care portal, whatever, uh, Baby born, all these things. It's a being aware of people around me and what are, what are their needs and what are their fears, what are their challenges, and maybe I'm in a position to go and help that person. That's what Paul is advocating for. He says, that's a community that's been affected by grace. That's, that's working against the selfishness that we're so prone to. We're actually thinking through, how can I do something for another person? Maybe that's why we like Christmas, at least why I like it. We are forced by, by tradition to look to the interests of others because, you know, it's the end of November and you got presents that you're supposed to buy. So now I'm thinking for the first time all year, what would they actually want? You know, what would, what would serve them? <laughs> well, that's a good pressure to have. <laughs> What would they be, be blessed by? I'm glad there's a date on the calendar that it makes me think that way. Well, maybe every day could be Christmas in that sense, in God's community, that I'm aware, that on, we're ongoingly aware and ready to step in to meet whatever need you have, if we can meet it. 
What an amazing community you're part of. Isn't that a great vision of what God has for us? Nobody's going to have a bad day if everybody in this community is treating each other as more important than themselves and looking out for each other's interests. I mean, that's what we want to be in, right? Everybody mutually doing that. Who could say no to that? That's amazing. But Paul says, you know what? Humility is what grounds all that. Humility is what makes that possible. And then he gives us the example of humility. He says, I'm not just making this up. I'm not just giving you a bunch of advice. Somebody showed us what this looks like. Verses 5 and beyond. Have this mind among yourselves, this mind of humility, which is yours in Christ, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's no act of humility greater than for God to become man and to bear insults Accusations, being spit upon, thrashed, crucified for things we do that he didn't do. No one has looked to the interests of others more or at a greater personal cost than Jesus. And we have the privilege and the responsibility to imitate his humility. Like-mindedness is lowly-mindedness, is how one person put it. If we bear resemblance to the mind of Christ, we will count others as more significant than ourselves. And we will look to them. We'll look to their interests, not just to our own. Because this is what Jesus did. One of the marks of the true Christian church is humility. The world does not need to see a church full of swagger and bravado an in-your-face kind of defiance that does not represent Jesus Christ and Him crucified. No, we represent Him by taking the form of a servant ourselves and looking to the interests of others, even at personal cost. And that includes people's eternal interests. 
by bringing them the gospel. We don't win people to Christ by conceit, but by taking up our cross and following Jesus in humility. When we love each other in humility like Jesus did, the church becomes a place where we're of the same mind and have the same love. There's encouragement in Christ, comfort in love, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, and that feeds our souls, and that becomes this place where people who are only experiencing rudeness and unforgiveness and cold-heartedness and all the other sins of the world can come and find an oasis and say, there is something that produces this that I need. That's how we win people to Christ. That's how we change the world. It starts with humility. And there's a great hope attached to this. There's something to look forward to. The last thing Paul says here is that humility has its ultimate reward. Closes with verses 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross, but on the other side of that was high exaltation, the highest exaltation. God will not allow the last sight that the world sees of Jesus to be a crucified man. No, the last and the lasting sight that everyone who has ever lived will see of Jesus is of a resurrected, enthroned ruler over creation. That's the last sight and the only sight. There will not be universal salvation but there will be universal recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord because he has been exalted by God the Father out of his humiliation. And you know what? God will do similar things to all believers. God will exalt us as we walk in our humility you may not get the honor in this life, but there will be honor. Because Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. God will exalt you just like he exalted his son. Because you, as a believer, are in that vital and legal relationship with the Son. And so if He's enthroned in the heavens, you will also be there. You will also be raised up in a resurrected body, immortal, to live in a community where we all get along <laughs> perfectly well. Amazing future. Paul speaks of it. In 1 Corinthians 15, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. This perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come the 
to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Victory and glory await those who have humbled themselves and accepted Christ as Savior and walk in the same humility that they see in Him. Humility ends in glory. That's our hope. Again, you may not get the glory in this life, but there's glory to come. No more sin, no more rudeness, no conflict, no unforgiveness, no relational problems. Not in the community that Jesus is bringing together, this multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation. So friends, we'll just close by saying, we can't lose when we love each other in humility, just like Jesus did. Instead of conflict, we have unity. Instead of every person for himself, we have every person for each other. And together, we look forward to the day when we are exalted with Christ in this never-ending glorious community. How kind of God to sweep us up into something like that. This, this, you, together, here, here in this local church, this is where the world can see it and where we can experience it in a foretaste right now as we cultivate these habits of the heart, these humble habits that are all based in the grace of God to us and our experience of it. So may that grow more and more among us. That was the whole purpose. We have one more message in this series from Todd next week. But the whole purpose of this is just to paint the picture of what God has brought us into and say, that's what we're going after. And may he give it to us more and more. Let's pray. <clears throat> there is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort in love. We participate in the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have your compassion, your affection, your sympathy. And so let us be means by which we all experience that more and more. Give us, Lord, the same mind, the same love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.